chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2. You could have guessed, but we're there again. Actually, we're there for the first time because we finally finished up Philippians chapter 1. And we are now going to begin Philippians chapter 2. I'm very excited about that. But will you join me in a spirit of prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Such a great privilege, Lord, and I pray that you'd use me, use my, my mouth tonight, my lips, to speak your words. And Lord, it's your word that's important, and so I desire to relay it to them accurately. And I pray that you'd help me with that, Lord. Would you use your spirit to do that? And would you help them along with me, Lord, to say, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things, wondrous things out of your book, out of your law. God, we need to understand what you have for us here because it has the power to change our lives, and we want that. We need that. I pray that you do that for us tonight as we study here in Philippians chapter 2. We thank you for it. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read the first four verses. It says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others." I'd like to begin tonight by reviewing with you some things about the church at Philippi. And the first thing I'd like to point out is that they were very near and dear to the heart of the Apostle Paul. And we've looked at that extensively as we covered Philippians 1. I'm not going to redo all of that. But all throughout the book of Philippians, we find his love and even really his compliments overflowing because it was a really godly church. It was a great church. Let me point out for you, and you can follow along if you'd like looking at these verses, but some of the things that he mentions about them. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3, he said, I thank my God every time I think of you. Amen. Every time he thought of them, he had something to be thankful for, and it was them. He could thank God for them and for the way they were. In verse 4 of Philippians 1, it says, every time he prayed for them, it was with joy. It brought him joy. And remember, that's what we're looking at here. Philippians, the prescription for joy. How to have joy. You want to have joy? Follow what it says here in this book, particularly in Philippians. And so he says, every time I pray for you, it's with joy. In Philippians 1 and verse 5, he says he's grateful for their fellowship in the gospel from the very first day. I don't know exactly what day he's pointing to. I know that one of the first days he was in Philippi, well, he met there those ladies by the river, and Lydia came to know Christ and had been faithful since that day. And there were others who, since the day that they accepted Christ, like the Philippian jailer, faithful. And, and he's grateful for their fellowship in the gospel, for that unity they have in the gospel from the very first day. In Philippians 1 and verse 19, he expresses that he knows they were praying for him. They were a praying church. They were praying for him, and he knew it. He could count on it. In chapter 2, in verse 12, he, he expresses that they, he knows that they've always obeyed, always obeyed. That's a great compliment. I'm trying to get Caden right now. The, the, sign, the ASL sign for obey is obey, and I tell him, Mr. Caden, you need to obey. And he knows what I'm saying when I tell him to obey. Am I, am I off there, Mim? 
on the line, that's what it said. That's the internet, all right? So that's one of the signs for obey, is obey, something like that. And I tell Caden, obey. He knows what I mean. So it's, uh, it's Caden's sign language. And, and he's supposed to obey. But he says they've always obeyed. They always obey. That's, that's a great compliment. In chapter 2, verses 25 through 30, Paul describes their sacrifice by sending one of their own members to care for him. Epaphroditus came and cared for him on their behalf. They cared about Paul. They cared about the Lord's work. In chapter 4 and verse 10, he rejoices because of that care for them that he received. In chapter 4 and verse 16, he describes them as a financially giving church. They were a giving church, a compliment, a good thing. And in chapter 3 and verse 16, he encourages them to keep going the way you have been. Keep going the way you have been. There was a lot of things praiseworthy and thankworthy when it came to the Philippian church. They were a great church. But another truth worth mentioning is that in Philippians, you won't find any doctrinal exhortations like you do in the rest of Paul's epistles, which is evidence that they had not deviated from the truth of God's word. Really, it was just a great church that was doing their best to serve the Lord and to see others come to Christ. They were serious about worshiping him and about seeing others come to Christ. And, and he said, keep going with the way you're going. But though the church at Philippi, was, was, they were theologically sound, though they were moral, they were loving, they were prayerful, they were generous, all of these great things, it faced one very crucial danger, and they needed to be instructed about it. And that is the issue of discord and division. It's the problem of disunity, the exact opposite of what the church is to be. Jesus was very clear when he prayed for his followers in John 17, verse 21, saying that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us. A prayer for unity for his followers. If you've accepted Christ, that's me, and that's you, and we are to be unified. And, and it's so important. I'd like to bring to your, your attention verse 2 again here in our passage, Philippians 2 and verse 2. He says, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Here you see that over and over again, there is a call for unity amongst believers. Because unity in a church is so important. It's vital. In fact, we won't take the time to view all of them, but Paul calls for unity in every letter he wrote. Every one, you'll see a plea for unity. And the reason it's so important is because a lack of unity, disunity, has the potential to weaken and destroy a church, to weaken and destroy it, even a healthy church like the church at Philippi. Listen to what I'm about to say, because you may think, well, we're, we're a pretty healthy church. We're not, we're not all fighting in here. Nobody's throwing fists. Nobody's calling names that you know about and things like that. And so you say, we may, well, you may think of us as a healthy church. Even in a healthy church, you have to beware of disunity. In a sense, a healthy church is even more susceptible to the problem of disunity. And let me give you two reasons for that. The first reason, if you're taking notes, those who are zealous are apt to collide. Those who are zealous are apt to collide. And I'm, let me quote somebody, a, a man who's, who's with the Lord now. And you may say, what do you mean by that? A Scottish pastor and theologian, his name was William Barclay, he wrote, There is a sense in which this is the danger of every healthy church. You see, when it's, when it's when people are really in earnest, when their beliefs are really matter to them, when they're eager to carry out their plans and their schemes, 
that they are apt to get up against one another. The greater their enthusiasm, the greater the danger that they may collide. And, and the longer I go, the more I'm seeing that to be true. It's, it's true. There is a danger, even in a healthy church, even in a, in a functioning and, and well-working organization, of, of heads to butt and of there to be disunity. Just because a church has solid doctrine and zealous people does not make them exempt from the possibility of discord. In fact, it heightens the possibility. Second reason why is that, like the familiar phrase says, familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. When you have a family, sometimes it's easier to get along with those outside of it than with those inside it, right? That's true. Those of you who have siblings and things like that, you know. You say, yeah. And when we get saved, we join the family of God. And that family doesn't just include you and God and the Lord Jesus. It includes many brothers and sisters in Christ. You're joining a, a very large family, in fact. And unfortunately, the same holds true that oftentimes we find ourselves getting easily irritated, lashing out amongst those brothers and sisters within the body of Christ that we ought to be loving. Does that not happen? It happens. Familiarity breeds contempt. And so we see that even a healthy church must be on guard against disunity. And such was the case at Philippi, and Paul knew it. In fact, it had been reported to him that there was a problem of disunity within the church already that needed to be dealt with quickly before it could get any worse. Look with me at chapter 4 and verse 2. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2. He says, I beseech Euodius and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. You know why he said that? Because they weren't of the same mind in the Lord. They were at odds with each other. Apparently, Epaphroditus, this messenger from Philippi who had brought a gift and, and a, an encouragement to Paul, had made him aware of this issue back there in Philippi, and that there were two women in the church who had an ongoing disagreement. And so I want you to catch this. For all of, of the great attributes that the church at Philippi had, if there was one thing that Paul needed to exhort the Philippians about, it was unity. And if you'll look back to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, we looked at that last time, we saw that Paul brought up this topic. He started it there when he said, only let your conversation, the way you walk, the way you handle yourself, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He was bringing up this issue of unity, or of the issue would be disunity. And he says you need to be together, you need to be like-minded. And so for us, there's a couple questions I'd like us to consider as we study these verses over the next few weeks. Ask yourself this, am I striving to achieve unity with and amongst my brothers and sisters in Christ? Or am I striving to get my own way, to have my own way? Am I seeking unity in accordance with the truths of God's word, or am I causing disunity? Whether by intentionality or by ignoring it, saying I'm not going to deal with things as they come up. Am I seeking unity in the body of Christ? What Paul addresses here in Philippians chapter 2 is unity, and that's what we'll be looking at the next few weeks. So let's make sure that we understand this unity that we're speaking of. I want to point out a couple things about it. True spiritual unity comes from within, rather than being a result of pressure from without. 
You see, sometimes we tend to confuse unity for uniformity, and that's a, that's a grave mistake we can make. Sometimes we act like unity means that we all have to agree on every issue, that we just have to agree we, we, we're the same people, and that every Christian should somehow fit into a certain mold, generally the same mold that you or I were brought up in, that people need to look like that. In practice, we make it seem as if everybody in the body of Christ should have the same political likes and dislikes as we do. That they should have the same music standards and the same preferences as you do. That they should dress a certain way, kind of like how you do. Maybe even look a certain way. Maybe not have such and such number of piercings. Maybe this and that. And we think, well, if we achieve those things, if they're like me, no, no, no. It's not about you. That's uniformity. That's external pressure. Instead, unity is from the inside. And let me illustrate it this way. Imagine you have a jar of screws, and you throw your screws into that jar, and, and you'd say they're in unity in there. We might say that. They're in unity there because they are there together. Like, we're here together tonight. We're in unity. But what's holding them together is the jar, just like these walls are holding us in right now. That's what's holding them together. They are not intrinsically held together on their own, your jar of screws. There's nothing within them that would keep them together. And if your jar were to spill, your screws would then separate and be scattered from one another. That's because what I'm describing is not unity, it's uniformity. They're different. But imagine now that you drop a strong magnet into the jar. Now, if you tip your jar and it spills all over the place, what would happen? Well, the screws may come out, but if they come out, they're coming out together. They're together. The screws would stay together, not because of an external container, not that jar, but because of an internal force. They'd be pulled to each other because of the central force working through them. And that, that's how the church is supposed to be. We're not a collection of random screws thrown together and just as easily separated. We're drawn together because we're magnetized by the same force, and that is the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are not just together in uniformity, but by and through His Spirit, we are drawn together in unity. And unity comes through submission to Christ and His Spirit. So it's up to you individually. Somebody else can't, make, can't, can't cause peace and, and unity on your end. It's up to you to submit to the Lord Jesus and, and, and have unity, be a part of, of the unity of Christ's body. And can I tell you something serious? Unity is delicate. It's delicate. And, and I don't mean that on the Lord's end. I'm not saying that, well, the Lord, He doesn't really do enough to, to keep us together. His Spirit, you know, has some, some issues there. No, if there's any problem, it's on our end, and it is. We, are, we, are, we, we make it a fragile thing. Because sometimes we're so quick to let something divide us for one reason or another. And oftentimes, divisions and discord, they, they come over the smallest and the most insignificant things, such as this true story. When a certain church in Dallas became divided, the rift was so bitter that each side instituted a lawsuit seeking to dispossess the other from the church's property, despite Scripture's warnings against taking these kinds of things before public courts. The story, of course, hit the Dallas newspaper, the ungodly ready to jump on that. And, and, they, and it garnered considerable interest from the readers. 
The judge, however, wisely ruled that it was not the province of the court to decide such matters until the case had heard before the denomination's church court, a, a wise judge there. So the dispute was remanded to the ecclesiastical court, their court, where eventually the decision was made to award the real estate and properties to one side. The losers withdrew and formed another church nearby. Church growth the American way, the newspaper writer said, mocking. Church growth the American way. It was also recorded in the Dallas newspapers, and sadly with some delight, that the church court was successful in tracing the trouble to its source. It had all begun when at a church dinner, a leader, a church leader, had been served a smaller slice of ham than a child next to him. That was the issue. That's what it could be traced back to. Can you believe? It's unbelievable. But if you've been around for any length of time, you may have heard a similar story. Churches being divided. The, the, the real popular one back in the day was over carpet colors and chairs or pews and this or that. But divisions coming because of insignificant things like that. It's a fragile thing, unity. We need to be on top of it. And so as much as we want to think, wow, what an extreme example. You know, nothing like that would ever happen to us. Beware. Disunity is always lurking at the door. And that's why in Ephesians 4 and verse 3, the exhortation is given to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word endeavor means to exert oneself. To exert oneself. Because what's needed to have unity is humility. What's needed is Christ-likeness. What's needed is submission. And those things don't come without effort. It takes effort, a lot of it, to keep unity. We're a bunch of sinful people. So put us together, and what do you have? Disunity oftentimes. And Paul here, continuing from chapter 1 and verse 27 that we read, is making a call for unity. And so in verse 1, we find the appeal for unity. It's telling us why we should have it. In verse 2, the affirmation of unity, what it looks like to have it. In verses 3 and 4, the application of unity, how we can have it. But tonight we're going to look at the appeal for unity in the church. And Paul in verse 1, he gives us four compelling reasons for why we ought to have unity. Four compelling reasons. Look at verse 1 again. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit... If any bowels and mercies, and I'll read verse 2, fulfill my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. When we look at this here, we see the word if is the first word of this chapter, and we think, okay, so if, that means if these things are true. That's not, that's not necessarily, that's not, you know, an accurate translation as far as our, into our language. Because if here in the Greek language is, is what they call a first-class conditional clause. You don't have to remember that. I don't either. Uh, but what it means is that these statements are realities. They are not possibilities. He's not saying if, as in these things are possible. He's saying really a, a, a more accurate word that we could use and say there is since. Since or because these things are true. He's talking about realities here. We say if for something that's a possibility, but not here. It's, it's since. It's because. And he's saying since we have consolation in Christ, since we have the comfort of love, since we have the fellowship of the Spirit, since we have affection and mercies, strive for unity because it's precious to the Lord. 
It's, it's very precious to the Lord. His desire is for unity. That's why he made that prayer. And, and many more exhortations to be unified. And we need unity. And so because these things, first of all, what we need to understand is that because we have consolation in Christ, we should have unity. And so consolation there, that word means encouragement. Encouragement. It's the word periklesis. The Greek word periklesis. You know what that word means? It means to come alongside and help. And, and we know that the Holy Spirit is our helper. Are you familiar with that? The Bible teaches that He's our helper, using the Greek word where it's, where it's there as paraclete. And, and this is speaking of the encouragement or the help that we've received from the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm talking about believers. I'm not talking about those who haven't accepted Christ as their Savior because you don't have the Holy Spirit. He's drawing you, but He's not yours yet, and you're not His and so I'm talking to believers, and those that have been saved have the Holy Spirit within them who helps them, who encourages them. Christ is the consolation, but the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus sent to us, He consoles, He encourages, He helps. And those who are in Christ have undoubtedly received the consolation of His Spirit. If you're a believer, can you attest to the fact that you've received help and encouragement when going through difficulties and trials? I can, and I've seen it in those that I, that I recognize a born-again relationship with God and, and watching them go through some of the hardest things I've ever seen people go through, but they're helped, they're encouraged through those times because of this consolation in Christ. David Livingston he was a famous explorer and missionary to Africa, and he faced many, many difficulties and pains and trials through his life. But he said this eight weeks before he died. Nothing earthly will make me give up my work in despair. I am encouraged in the Lord, in, my, in the Lord my God, and I go forward. Eight weeks before he died, he quoted that. A tough life, a real rough life for him and his family, but... He said, I'm encouraged in, in the Lord my God. I remember reading a story, uh, a true story of some missionaries who were captured in the Philippines by, by a Muslim terrorist group and, and carried through the jungle and abused for years and years. And, and, and when they, the Philippine government tried to rescue them, the, the missionary man, her, her husband, was shot in, in the crossfire and got killed. And she made it out. He didn't. After, after all of that time and such a rough time they had out there in the jungle. And she wrote a book about it in the presence of my enemies. And, and some of the statements she made in there about the Lord's encouragement through those dark times, through those tough times, <coughs> she could have joy through that all because she had consolation of Christ and he gives consolation. His spirit is there to help those who've been saved through anything. I've often used my parents, who were shot and robbed, should have lost their lives in the country of Haiti, out serving the Lord, but they were encouraged through that time. Their, their faith even strengthened through that because of the, the consolation they received in Christ, the consolation of the Spirit. Amen. And Paul's saying, since you have this, since you have consolation in Christ, can't you, can't you seek for unity amongst yourselves? saying, because you have this, you ought to be at peace among yourselves. This is a great blessing, a great privilege you've received from the Lord. And you ought to be at peace amongst yourselves. Secondly, he mentions the comfort of love. The comfort of love. Look again at verse 1. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love. 
This is flowing from the first reason that he gave there, and it's speaking of Christ's love. It's the gracious, comforting love that has been granted to each of us who've believed on Christ for salvation. His love was so great that when God sent him, he willingly stepped down from heaven and came to earth. Not only did he come to earth, he came as a man. Definitely a step down, many steps down from what he was, came as a man. Not only did he come as a man, he came as a servant. A servant. Not only did he come as a servant, he subjected himself to, he came and willingly died an agonizing death on the cross in your place. What love for him to show. And when you realize how great a love this is and in what manner it was shown, isn't that comforting to know that someone loves you that much? Loves you that much? That he would willingly do that for you, his enemy at the time? It's incredible. And, and when we've received that kind of love, we in turn ought to show that kind of love the best we can to our brothers and sisters in Christ which demonstrates gratitude for what we've received. And that is the appeal here. He says, since you've received the comfort of Christ's love, strive for unity and seek peace with others. You've got to do that. Thirdly, fellowship of the Spirit. Verse 1 again says, if or since there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit. We're talking about that fellowship that exists because of the Spirit that's within us. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13 says, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free. I could go anywhere across this world, and if I find another believer there, we have fellowship together because of the same Spirit that's within us. It doesn't matter how much different we are. I had the privilege to go on a, a mission trip to South Africa when I was 14, and, and we met some godly believers over there who were totally different from me in all kinds of ways, even in how they worshipped and how they looked and how they dressed, but we had the fellowship of the Spirit because it was the same Spirit within us. And so regardless of political differences, regardless of the color of someone's skin, regardless of how rich or how poor, of how old or how young, within each believer resides the Holy Spirit of God who is that magnifying, uh, that magnetizing force that brings us together in common, which is in fellowship with one another. And Paul is saying here that since you've experienced this great and unique fellowship, strive for unity amongst yourselves. Strive for unity amongst the family you're in, that God's put you in. It's not always easy, but that doesn't make us exempt from the responsibility to seek unity. Let me remind you again that Ephesians 4 and verse 3, it's a key verse for this, says that we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. We have the fellowship in the Spirit. It's the same Spirit within me and any other believer. So why would we be at odds with one another? Why would we fight and bicker? That's his point here. You, can't, you shouldn't do that. It's the same Spirit. You have the fellowship of the Spirit. Fourth, 
is affection and compassion. Look at verse 2 again. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any, you'll see the word bowels and mercies if you have the King James Version. And, and, and we, we looked at that when we looked at uh, Philippians 1 and verse 8. He used the same word, bowels. And, and for the, the readers and, and those who were being written to, it, it meant a deep-seated affection because they believed that was where the heart of the, of the emotions and the affection sat, was in the bowels, and so they would use that word. But we could say affection. That's what this is talking about. And the word mercies speaks of the tender mercies and compassion of God. God is so kind. He's so affectionate, so compassionate, and He proves it by hearing us when we pray, by meeting our needs, by giving comfort to us when we're down, by providing all that we need through the power of His Spirit. All that we need. And He's saying, if, not if, but since you've received these things, since you have these four blessings from God, your responsibility, the natural responsibility, would be to show those things to others and to seek for unity amongst your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know I've been brief here tonight, but I wanted you to get a feel for where we're going to go in this passage. And there are these four realities. They are realities. And Paul is appealing to them. Because these things are true, you, you need to seek for unity. It's a fragile thing. And we, we find ways to break it apart really quickly and over petty things. But we need to seek unity. These four realities, he's saying, because you have them, because you've received consolation in Christ, because you've received Christ's comfort of love, because you have the fellowship of the Spirit, because you've experienced the affection and compassion of God, then give God what He desires. Give God what He desires. That's the unity of His people. God desires that. It's so precious to Him. And so, Christian, are you striving for unity amongst your brothers and sisters in Christ? To not do so is sin, not only against the others, those, those other brothers and sisters in Christ, but really it's even a sin of ungratefulness to God, in which you essentially say to Him, God, I know all the good that you've done for me, and I've been a recipient of your blessings and your encouragement and your love and your fellowship and your compassion, but that still won't move me to do the same thing for others and to seek peace. When, when in your actions you don't seek peace with others, that's what you're saying to God. I, I'm just going to take, take, take. Thank you, God. And forget about my responsibility to be at peace with others, to seek unity with others, to be of the same mind, to be of the same love. Boy, do we need that. We need unity. But tonight, this message has obviously been for those who are part of the family of God. But you may be here and you may say, you may know in your heart that, hey, I've never even experienced those blessings you're talking about. I don't have the comfort of Christ's love. I don't have the fellowship of His Spirit. I don't, I don't know what it's like to have that help as I go through tough times. I don't know what it's like to commune with another believer, to read the Word and understand and be able to talk about spiritual things with people and, and comprehend them because, well, His Spirit's not in me. I have no fellowship there. And if that's you tonight, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. Because God wants you to be saved. And I'm here to tell you that. He loves you. 
you could be comforted by Christ's love tonight and for the rest of your life because He's willing. He's so willing. The Bible says He loved the world, the people in the world, so much that He sent His Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. You could begin your relationship with God and with the family of God tonight. And so as our pianist comes, we're going to sing a song of invitation. And if that's you tonight, or if you're here and you're that Christian and you say, you know what, the Lord's worked on me, I need to have, I need to seek for unity amongst other believers. Not just passively say, well, if, if they don't like me, I don't like them. That's not how it goes. Seek for unity. Strive for peace. Because it's so precious to Christ. And all of the blessings we've received from Him. So as we sing a verse tonight, if the Lord's worked on your heart, you come. Stand with me.